Jesus Christ came to give us a brand new identity. Maybe people have called you a loser. Maybe you've heard that you're an accident or you're a mistake and you'll never amount to anything. But because of the empty tomb that we don't celebrate just on Easter, but every first day of the week, every Sunday, you are more than a conqueror and you have a new identity in Jesus Christ. And today I want you to take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to John's Gospel, chapter number 9, John 9. And I want us to think about this reality Jesus Christ wants to take doubters and turn them into shouters, those who doubt what he does and those who will eventually shout his praises. We've been talking about this series, New Identity. We took time off for Palm Sunday and for Easter, but God wants to give us a new identity. Listen, I may not be everything I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be because as a 15-year-old boy, I met Jesus, and he rocked my world, and he transformed my life, and that's what he wants to do for you. Now, being a Christian, being saved doesn't mean that we never struggle or that we never have doubts. You know, sometimes doubt's a good thing, right? We ought to be doubtful about some things. When you get that Facebook message that says tag 15 friends and you'll get a $50 gift card from Chick-fil-A, you probably ought to doubt stuff like that. When you get an email and it says, if you don't forward this to 20 of your closest friends, your co-worker's aunt's going to get a fungus and an ingrown toenail and bunions on her feet. If you don't, you ought to doubt stuff like this. I don't know how many times I've gotten the email that says, forward this one to 20 friends, and you'll get $5 for each one from Microsoft or some big company. First time I saw that, I thought, well, they can afford that. That may be true. Mm -mm. You ought to doubt stuff like that. There were two men out walking on the beach, my favorite place to be on the beach, and they were walking their dogs on the beach. And, you know, pray for us now that our daughter's at home living with us. Not only is our daughter living there, but my grand dog is living there. I'm not, it's not that I don't like animals. It's just that I have asthma and allergies. So I'm adjusting to this thing of the grand dog, and he knows that I'm a softie. He knows if somebody's going to give him a treat, I will. My daughter said, Dad. I walked Duke last night, and he came and went right to his crate. You know why? I said, why? She said he wanted a treat. I said, so? She said, because you started that. Every time he goes outside, you give him a treat. I don't want him to waste my time. So if we go outside, he don't do his business, he don't get a treat. So I want to condition him. Well, anyway, I'm off the track here. Two men were out walking their dogs on the beach. One of them picked up a piece of driftwood, and he threw it out on the water. And his dog ran on top of the waves and on top of the water to get that piece of driftwood. Can you believe that? The other guy had no reaction. He said, dude, did you just see that? And he said, yeah. He said, well, what do you think? He said, hmm, your dog must not be able to swim. I mean, some people just doubt everything, even when they see it with their own eyes. In John chapter 9, we're going to see a, a number of people who encountered Jesus and who had some doubts about him. Maybe you've struggled with doubt. You know, if you've, if you've ever had doubts about God, does, does he really exist does he really care about me? Can God really use somebody who's messed up as many times as I have? Can God forgive somebody like me? Does God even care that I exist out of all the people in the world? We have these doubts, and I hope and pray that as we look at John chapter 9, maybe some of us and those listening later on the World Wide Web will see some people in this story, and we can identify with them and learn from them that God wants to give you a new identity and take you from being a doubter to a shouter. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, if you're physically able, would you rise and let's honor the reading of God's Word? John's Gospel, chapter number 9, John was Jesus' closest bub, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 1, it says, 
as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, which means teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Well, that's a stupid question, isn't it? How could it be for his own sins? He was born blind. It wasn't because of that. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened, here's why, so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And this is fascinating to me. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva, spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. That's gross. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. To me, that's one of the strangest stories in all the Word of God. A mud pie of spit, and he put it on the dude's eyes. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you can take Situations like this that are really unforgettable or things I would never dream of or imagine taking spit and mud and bringing healing to a blind man's eyes. Lord, I don't have to doubt that because your word is absolutely true for all people, for all places, and for all times. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you take doubters, and when we turn to you, you'll turn them into shouters for your glory. So speak to our hearts today. Make us more like you. Lord, if there's any that has never encountered Jesus in a life-transforming way, if they've never been saved, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. So what's up with that spit, right? I mean, spit is one of the nasty. If somebody spits on you, you know, I just want to kill them and tell God they died or something. Don't Spit is nasty. Don't spit on me. Jesus took that glorified, sanctified spit because he was the God-man, and he made a mud pie and put it over the dude's eyes. Now, was Jesus God or not? Could Jesus just say, be healed in my name? He could have done that, couldn't he? He could have just healed him that way, but he didn't do it that way. Verse 3 says he did it so the power of God could be seen in him. Do you think if you were there, you would have doubted that? Like, okay, he's a great guy and all that, but he's really lost his mind now putting mud pies on people's eyes. Would you have doubted that? Have you ever doubted that God was at work in your life, but when you get down the road, you can see how he worked that out? You know, I look at the circumstances of our lives for the last number of years since we moved here. We had a great life in middle Georgia. Things were going great. We've been at the same church for 19 years. And God moved us to Hall County, Georgia. And some awesome, we've seen God do some awesome things. But I'm just going to be honest, we've had a lot of heartache too. I think God brought us to Hall County. We went through some of these difficult things to get us where we are right now. Because I'm telling you, I would have never left the church I was at. I'm just, I don't think I'd have ever left that church if God said, you're gonna, we're going to cut your income by about 90%, and you're going to go plant a church in a community center. You're going to be almost 60 years old. Get your behind up in the morning. Go and set up chairs and stage. I don't think I'd have done that, but God never wastes hurt. Even when you don't see God at work, you doubt maybe in the hurtful times of your life that God's at work. He's always accomplishing Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God allows all things. All things, that's the good things. That's the bad things things, and that's the ugly things. We've had good, bad, and ugly in our life, and you probably have too. So God's always at work, even if we doubt it. 
What do you think Jesus' followers were thinking that day when he's making that mud pile? When he spit in that mud and he put it on the dude's eyes, you reckon they kind of like snickered behind his back? You know, maybe he ate too much pizza last night. He didn't get enough sleep. What in the world is he doing? So not only did Jesus spit and make a mud pie, put it on the dude's eyes, then he said, I want you to walk across town and go to the pool of Siloam. Picture the spectacle. I mean, we, we've heard Scripture our whole lives, but I, I want us to go back and put yourself, you're seeing this for the first time. You've probably heard this story. You've read this story. But what if you're seeing this for the first time? Hear this famous rabbi who's healed people, makes a mud pie, puts on a dude's eyes, and they're having to take him and lead him by the arm because he can't see. He's blind and he got mud in his eyes. I bet it created quite a spectacle. I bet people lined the streets because we know from Scripture wherever Jesus went, he attracted a crowd. People were coming to see what this miracle worker is going to do. Can you imagine what's going through their mind as he did that? He told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Again, couldn't he have said, dude, here's a washcloth, wash your face, you look nasty. Or couldn't he have just said, poof, be gone, and the mud be gone, because he's the God-man. Surely people doubted what was happening there. They had to doubt his sanity. They had to doubt this man's sanity for letting this dude put a mud pie on his eyes. They're watching, and even after he comes up out of the water and he says, I can see, I can see, they probably doubted that too. They probably thought Jesus got together and arranged this sideshow with this guy to make people think he's a miracle. Surely people were having doubts. Verse number 8 says this, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar or ask each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. They're saying, that's not the dude, that's a different dude. Like he's got a stunt double. You saw this stuff on the internet about how President Biden has a stunt double. Double, You know, last week it was like when he was in wherever he was, this week he had on a mask. Went all over the internet. People believe anything. People doubt anything. They're going, no, this isn't him. He must have a stunt double. He looks just like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. I wonder how many people are doubting. I wonder how many people are snickering behind this back. Even the pseudo-religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they doubted what was going on. Verse number 13 says, then they took the man who'd been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath, and Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked about the man asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes. When I washed away, I could see. Dude's like, I have no idea how it happened, but I'm telling you, this is what happened. He put mud on my eyes and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. They're legalistic people get so caught up in rule, man-made rules and regulations, they say, because he did this on the Sabbath, listen, Jesus is the God of the Sabbath. Jesus can do what he wants to, when he wants to. Was he doing work or was he just helping a man? If you stop and help somebody on the Lord's day, are you violating any commandment? No, you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you're helping people. How could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Might have been some Baptists in there. They had a division of opinion. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who'd been blinded and demanded, What's your opinion? What's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. He must be a prophet. When you go back in your mind to the moment of your salvation. Now, some of you, like my wife, got saved at a very early age. I wish I got saved younger than I did. 
But any of you have people doubt you when you got saved, when you professed the Lord? I mean, are there people that you think there's no way God can ever save them and use them? I know I've shared this story with you before of how when I was a a UGA student in Athens on, I think it was Monday nights, I took some teenagers from our student ministry over to the Bridgeway Boys Home, a home for boys and boys who'd been in trouble or taken away from their parents for whatever reason. And we would, you know, have just a short devotion with them and play basketball. I took some of them to a Georgia game one time, their first Georgia game. And it was going really, really good. And then a punk showed up. You know, when I say a punk, I mean, he was just a troublemaker. He, he wanted to mock what we did. And I'm like, God, things are going great. We're getting through these boys. And you let this punk show up and get in the way. And one night he says, hey, can I talk to you in my room? His name was Mike also. And I said, sure. I thought, I'm going to give this dude a talk. It's about time I sit his behind down and tell him he needs to knock it off. So we get to his room and he said, you know what he asked me? Can you tell me how to be saved? I felt about that. Here I'm ready to give that dude a once-over and let him know. If he doesn't stop, I'm going to kick his tail. Can you tell me how to be saved? In my mind, I doubted. I could see God was doing stuff in these boys, but not this punk. Surely God couldn't do anything in his life. I doubted it. God taught me a lesson. Never doubt that God can transform and save anybody. Never doubt that God can give a new identity to anybody. I mean, my goodness, the most evil, one of the most evil men in all of human history. I mean, some of you may think Hitler or Saddam Hussein. I think there was a dude more evil than them, and his name was Saul of Tarsus. He hunted down Christians. He persecuted Christians. He threw Christians in jail, and he was transformed Jesus. God gave him a new identity, even changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. So if God can give him a new identity, he can give Mike Had, that was the dude's name, a new identity. He can give anybody a new identity. Well, this man in John 9 experienced doubt. From his own parents. Imagine if your own parents doubt you. Look at verse 18. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his mom and dad. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son. We know he was born blind. but We don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Can you imagine as a parent? I mean, most of us in this room are parents, or many of us are parents. We would do anything and everything for our children, would we not? We would even move a 90-pound black lab in our house when we can't breathe because we love our children. These parents were afraid of what was going to happen to them, so they almost throw their son under the bus. They say, ask him. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's when they said he's old enough, ask him. So it's like the religious leaders doubted him. Eyewitnesses doubted him. His own parents may have had some doubt about the situation. And I think he probably might have started having some doubts of his own. Look at verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who'd been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They don't know that. Jesus is not a sinner. They're making that up. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. You don't have to have a lesson in theology. You don't have to go through to a disciple now weekend. You don't have to go through a revival meeting. All those things are good, but if, if you have met the master, if he's given you a new identity, you don't have to explain all that. Pastor Roger talked about that when he preached on the, about the thief on the cross. I mean, he was 
was saved, boom, like that. Then he went to heaven. He didn't get baptized. He didn't join a church. He couldn't explain the, the doctrine of justification by faith. He just said, hey, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. This guy said, all I know is I was blind, and now I can see. If you've been touched by the master, you can be a witness for Jesus. How do you deal with doubts? How can we go from doubters to shouters? Number two, write this down. God wants us to believe what we see him doing. God wants us to just believe what we see him doing. Open our eyes. Finish this sentence for me. It's an old saying. Seeing is what? Believing. Seeing is believing. If you see something, you ought to believe it. The evidence of God at work around us, it's there for anybody to see if we'll just open our eyes and realize there's no way that all this stuff came together by itself. You know, if I told you, listen, I've lived in Hall County, you know, for 30 years, which I have not. You know, before this place was built, and, and, and I said, hey, this used to be a field or a farm. And I drove by, and poof, a big old community center just suddenly appeared all by itself. You ought to doubt me if I tell you that, because there's no way that happened. There had to be a designer for this building who had blueprints and workers to put it together. So this building screams that there was a designer Creation screams there had to be a designer who designed the whole world and everything we see. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, things we can't see but we know is true, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Anybody that lives and can see creation, there's no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. Creation screams the glory of God. Who put the, who, who put the sun in the sky? Who tells the waves you can only come this far? Who tells the sun when to set and the moon when to rise? Who does all that stuff? Somebody had to design it. Let's just believe what we see. You don't have to have a course in theology, but if you just open your eyes and see the human body. The human body is a fascinating thing, isn't it? You got muscles and you got ligaments and you got tendons and they all have a specific function. But if one of those things gets out of place, then the other muscles can overcompensate for that and become strained or compromised. The human body is fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, 13, 14. For you formed my inward parts. You, God, knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why none of you are an accident. Don't let somebody tell you you're an accident. Or I've heard kids say, oh, this one, this one was an oops. There's no oops in God's economy. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. So the preciseness of the human body. I mean, if we're, our temperature is supposed to be, what is normal? 98.3, I think. My normal is 97.9. But you have a normal, and they're all pretty close there together. But you let that thing just get a little bit off whack. You know, after this, 
you know, Pastor Matt talked about all the crazy things that happened to you when you served the Lord. And, you know, both of our families, we're, we were sick for almost a month. There was five days in the middle that I felt well, then we got it all over again. And I just kept running a, a low-grade temperature of like 100, 100.6. And that's not way off, but it was enough that I felt miserable. I didn't feel good. The body has such an intricate balance. There's no way that this just happened. There's no way we just evolved from a swamp or from an ape. There's a master designer. God wants us to believe what we see. Ultimately, faith is believing what you don't see. I don't see God. Hadn't seen Jesus, but I got to believe him anyway. But there were those who did walk with him and talk with him and saw the miracles and saw the things he did. And there was a joker named Thomas, and he still doubted. He, he was right there with Jesus. He saw what Jesus did. He saw what Jesus said. He saw how Jesus' predictions, his prophecies came true, and he still doubted. John chapter 20, verse 29, Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The, the, the evidence of God at work is all around us. Believe the stuff you're seeing and know that somebody had to design that. Find you an authentic Christian, somebody that's genuine in their faith. As Pastor Matt said, not perfect. None of us are perfect. But you see some people, and there's just something different about them. There was a, a high school coach when we were in Warner Robins named Tom Mobley. He was the, the Warner Robins High School girls basketball coach. Our children are about the same age. Our sons are the same age. Our daughters are close in age. And Coach Mobley was a good guy. They went to a little Methodist church in Bonaire, I think. But he was coaching and teaching at Warner Robins High School. And he started to see these young people, a, a girl named Kelly Blasi, a girl named Melissa Runyon, and a girl named Jennifer Walls. And here's Coach, a semi-religious man, but he wasn't a Christian. He was a good guy, but he wasn't saved yet. And he's watching these girls and thinking, they're not like all the other girls in this school. There's something different about them. And Coach Mobley's testimony, as he watched those girls, the Holy Spirit said, don't you want your kids to turn out like those girls? Don't you want Patrick and Sarah Grace to be like these teenagers are when they get older? And as Coach Mobley's watching them, he realized they were all Christians. And you can probably fill in the blank. He was believing what he was seeing. He saw there was something obviously different about these sweet girls. And in 1999, Coach Mobley came to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of his life. Now he works full-time for Fellowship of Christian Athletes, impacting athletes in schools throughout middle Georgia, all because he believed what he saw in those young ladies. Well, when things are going good, it's easy to praise the Lord. One of those young ladies, Melissa Runyon, Melissa was a beautiful young lady. She was a cheerleader at Warner Robins High School. She goes to the University of Georgia, which was her dream. It's her freshman year, and she's stricken. I mean, she's just knocked out. We don't know if she's going to live or not. Then what was wrong with Melissa? They took her to Emory Hospital in Atlanta. And beautiful, long, curly hair, cheerleader, bubbly, just loves everybody she meets had a brain um, embolism in her brain. Didn't know if that girl was going to live or die. I watched her mom and daddy walk through that. I drove to Emory several times to visit. I saw Melissa even in that condition. She never cussed God. She never doubted God. Her mom and dad gave praise to God. Were they brokenhearted for their baby? Absolutely. As a parent, you know there's no hurt like when our kids hurt because we're supposed to fix that hurt. And when we can't fix it, there's no hurt greater than that. But I watched those people go through that. They stood strong for the Lord. Believe what you see. Believe when you see an authentic Christian. 
situation in the worst part of their life. And by the way, Coach Mobley came to know Christ. His wife came to know Christ. His wife, Cindy, one of the sweetest women you'll ever meet in your life. And if you ask me how I'm doing, most of the time I'll reply to you, I'm blessed. You know why I say that? Well, because I am blessed, all right? I woke up today, and I wasn't in hell. But I learned that from Cindy Mobley. When our kids were, and I think our sons were in middle school, our daughters were elementary school, Cindy, coach's wife, gets a diagnosis of a very rare cancer. And she's told by the doctors in Macon, Georgia, you're not going to live. There's no cure for it. Get your house in order. Middle schooler and a high schooler. She didn't accept that answer. They went out to MD Anderson Cancer Center out in um, Texas. I forget what city that's in. They trusted the Lord. We kept their kids while they were out there because our kids went to the same school through that whole time. This woman didn't know if she was going to live to see her daughter get married or her son graduate high school. Miss Cindy, how you doing? I'm blessed every single time. Through the valleys of life, when you see people respond like that, ask yourself why. Ask yourself what's different about them. And if you are looking for answers, those, those, that inquisition will take you right to Jesus. Jesus is the reason they can act like that and have peace even in the midst of the storm. You see, Coach Mobley was a school teacher, but his life wasn't transformed by a basketball playbook. His life wasn't transformed by an algebra book or a history book. His life was transformed by the truth of God's Word. He saw it in those young ladies' lives. He began to inquire for himself and to dig out the truths of Scripture to himself, and he gave his life to Jesus. Believe what you're seeing. Believe, Romans 1, the evidence that God is real. Believe what you're seeing when you find you some authentic Christians, and even in the valleys of life, their faith doesn't waver. There's a reason for that. Start to ask why. And number two, God wants our doubts to lead to truth. Doubts are not always bad. We start off saying sometimes you ought to doubt things. And here, here, here's a simple formula for you to remember. Questions, doubts lead to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth. And what did Jesus say about the truth? The truth will do what? It'll set you free. So if your doubts lead to questions, questions lead to answers, answers lead to truth, you can be set free in Jesus Christ. John chapter 8 and verse 31, that's where he said that. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We exist in this East Hall Community Center, in this East Hall Community, to help skeptics come to know Jesus. People who doubt the existence of Jesus to come to a personal relationship with him. There was a, a, an atheist college student out, I think he was at UCLA, University of California, not upper corner of lower Alabama. That's other UCLA. He was out in California, and he had doubts, and he just really hated Christians. And so he set out as a college student, I'm going to prove once and for all that this Bible stuff is just a bunch of malarkey. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to prove that. Brilliant mind, dude. And he started to research the claims of Scripture because of his doubts. He's going to prove Christians and shut up every preacher and every witness once and for all. Well, guess what happened when he started to try to disprove that? His name was Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell is one of the greatest apologists of our lifetime. He wound up writing a book when he set out to disprove Christianity that sold millions of copies, and the name of the book is Evidence That Demands a Verdict. When he saw all this evidence he was trying to disprove, it was real. He gave his life to Christ, and he's impacted millions since that time. That was 
That was some years ago, but he's still out there. He's an older man now, but he's still preaching, and he's still traveling. He's still helping young people. I, I taught a book to our students in Lynchburg, Virginia, called Don't Check Your Brains at the Door, Apologetics for Young People. You ought to know why you believe, what you believe, and why you believe it. There was another award-winning journalist from the Chicago Tribune, same thesis, same scenario, brilliant mind. He'd won a lot of awards. He's going to set out to disprove Christianity once and for all. And he wound up writing a book called The Case for Christ. Lee Strobel, you might have read that book, The Case for Christ. I think there's been several movies made about that too. When you set out with those doubts and questions, if you're being honest in your search, those questions lead to answers. Answers lead to the truth, and the truth alone will set you free. So maybe you still have some questions and doubts. I mean, this is an amazing book right here, right? I mean, the Bible's not like any other book. 66 separate books written by over 40 different authors. <clears throat> it took over 1,400 years to write all of this. It was written on three different continents in three different languages, and yet it all fits together perfectly. From Genesis to Revelation, it points to the Messiah, Jesus, who is to come. How in the world can one book written over 1,400 years by 40 different people, all make sense. It doesn't make any sense if you take God out of the equation. But when God's in the equation, all things are possible. And we know that this book was not just written by men, but God tells us in the book of Peter, he says, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved them to write this perfect book. So do you have doubts? Do you doubt the truth of God's Word? You know, one of the greatest evidences that God's Word is true to me is prophecy. You look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, some obscure stuff in there. Like in the book of Micah, we see that Messiah, everybody's waiting for Messiah, the Messiah to come and save his people from his sins. And he's told, hey, he's going to be born in a little bitty obscure village called Bethlehem. It's not obscure to us because we've heard the story our whole life. But when he said that, it was like saying the Savior of the world is going to be born in Lula, Georgia one day. Like, where's Lula, Georgia? Where's Bethlehem? With preciseness, hundreds of years later, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And you know the Christmas story, how God had to use a census to get Mary and Joseph back there for that to happen. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 says, Behold, a virgin will conceive, and she'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's impossible, right? I mean, y'all know biology and where babies come from. That is impossible to happen unless you put God in the equation. That's the only way that a virgin can conceive. So hundreds of years before, and then the, uh, the Holy Spirit of God comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. She says, no, I'm not. I'm going to get married to Joseph. We're not married yet. We're not doing none of that funny business here. We're waiting to celebrate that gift that God's given us in the context of marriage. You're going to have a baby, even though you've never been with him. And she did. So God wants us to look to those doubts and let those doubts lead to the truth. What are the doubts that you have? You doubt God knows your situation? Oh, preacher, I know you say God can forgive anybody, but you don't know what I've done. That's people who have a very high opinion of themselves. When you say you don't know what I've done, you're saying you're so big and you're so bad that your, your bigness and your badness is bigger than the blood of Jesus. When just one drop of that precious blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Maybe you doubt God has a plan for your life. Maybe you think, man, I've messed up so many times. I've asked for forgiveness so many times. There's no way God can use a person like me. 
He declares to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I think that applies to us even today as his church, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope, not to harm you. God has great things in store for you. So a man by the name of William Coffin said, Faith isn't believing without proof. It's trusting without reservation. The proof is there. If all I got is creation, there's enough evidence to tell me there's a master designer who put all of this there. So God wants our doubts to lead to his truth. And number three, write this down. God wants us to share that truth with other people. He wants us to share his truth with others. Look at verse 25. He said, when they asked him about Jesus, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked? How did he heal you? Did he, like, send you for cataract surgery? Did he send you to put some magic eye drops? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Don't you listen? Why, don't we, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? So he kind of throws it back on them. Then they cursed at him and said, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, who, who wrote much of the Old Testament, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. As we've said every single week in this new identity series, when God gives you a new identity, when he forgives you, when he transforms your life, he wants us to open our mouth and tell other people what he's done for us. Even Listen, even if you have doubts, if you can't explain some of the deep doctrines of Scripture, if you're just like this student say, look, all I know is I had no hope, and I met a man named Jesus who forgave me, and I'm a different person. If that's all you know, you can be a witness for Jesus. And the more we're obedient to share what Jesus did for us, I think the more, the more light we respond to, the more light God gives us. The more obedience, steps of obedience I take, the more God's Word is going to open up to me. When you got saved, did you understand the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism? No. I never even heard of that stuff before till not too many terrible years ago. Could you debate creation, evolution? Probably not. Could, could you debate the Trinity, one of the most difficult things for this human brain to comprehend? No. But you know you were lost. You know you were found. And you can tell people Jesus wants to give them a new identity. People can argue with you about the Bible. People can argue with you about church. But they cannot argue your story. Your testimony has power. Your testimony is yours. It's the way he gave you your new identity. Nobody else can share your story like you can because you are the expert. I told you about Coach Mobley. That would have been much more effective if I brought him here today to share that story. And as Coach Mobley shared it, maybe I had Melissa and Kelly come from behind stage. That story, that's his story. I mean, I told it to you, and I hope you got something out of it. But when the eyewitness tells you about it, it means something. Your testimony, your story is something only you can share. Maybe it grew out of doubts. Maybe you still have some doubts about things. But as you obey the Lord, his truth will start to come to life. Jesus died and rose again for you, whether you believe it or not. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and you're going to one of them, whether you believe it or not. Listen. You don't have to go to heaven, and you don't have to go to hell, but you can't stay here. We all have an expiration date. None of us live on this earth forever. So you don't have to believe in hell to go there. You do need to believe in heaven to go there. 
But that's the only two destinations we have. We ought to do something about that right now while we still have a heartbeat and brain waves and we can comprehend what it takes. When you put your faith in Jesus, you receive that new identity. He can turn you from a doubter to a shouter. You want to shout to the world what he's done for others, he can do for you. Listen to what he did for me, he'll do it for you. So I don't know this morning, are you struggling with doubts today? Are there things that have kind of made you pause in your walk with the Lord because you can't explain it? Are you sharing God's truth with other people? Are you sharing your story that you're the expert on with other people? We said you don't have to believe in hell to go there, but if you don't give your life to Jesus, that's the only other option there is. Can you think of any reason today, if you're unsure of your relationship with the Lord, you wouldn't want to get saved today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus' half-brother James wrote these words, Our life is like a vapor. It appears for just a little while and then it's gone. You know, if you're, if you're cooking boiled peanuts on the stove, it's about that time of year for green peanuts in South Georgia. You're boiling peanuts on the stove, and that steam comes up. You know, the peanuts are going to be there. You're going to eat the peanuts. But you can't capture that steam and hold on to it. It's there for a little while, and it's gone. James says, that's the way your life is. We may think we have forever to live. We don't know that. I've told you I've already outlived both of my grandfathers, and I'm thankful for that. But I preach funerals of old people, and I preach funerals of young people. I've been to funerals for babies. None of us has any guarantee. And you say, ah, those preachers try to scare people. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you, open your eyes and see the reality of it. I'm telling you stuff that's real for all of us. We don't, none of us knows when our expiration date is coming up. So if you don't know the Lord I beg you today, will you just respond to God's truth? He loved you so much. How much did he love us? He stretched out his arms on an old rugged cross and died. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to die and go to hell, but you can have everlasting life. We're all messed up, folks. We all struggle just in different ways. The wages of my sin is to die and go to hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. In fact, that's the only way to be saved. There's no other name given under heaven by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. Will you let your doubts turn to questions? Your questions lead you to answers. Your answers lead you to truth, and God's truth will always set you free. Pray with me, if you will. I don't know what's going on in your world right now. For some of you, things are going great. For some of you, say, Mike, I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been. I say, praise God. I rejoice with you. Maybe you say, Mike, I'm going through some stuff. When Pastor Matt shared that earlier about depression, that resonated in your heart. Maybe some of you have a wayward child. Maybe some of you just doubt that God could ever use somebody like you. He, he can use other people, but he ain't going to use me. Listen, if he can use a terrorist named Saul, he can use you.